Welcome to The Protagonistas, a podcast that is centered on highlighting the stories and experiences of Black, Indigenous, and other women of color among communities of faith. Our conversations sit at the intersection of race, gender, sexuality, and spirituality. I'm your host, Kat Armas. Hi, hello, mi gente. I am so happy to be here once again. It has been several weeks since I uploaded a new episode, but I am so excited to upload this one because I feel like I have saved the best for last. As you can imagine, the last few weeks have been very busy with book promotion and just overall Awelita faith things. And so I needed a couple weeks off, um, as I mentioned a few weeks ago I might do, in order to get my bearings. Um, but I will say that I am due to give birth very, very soon. And so this will be the last interview of the year. Um, and it is a good one because it is with one of my favorite people, as you can hopefully tell through the conversation. Um, I chat with Sharifa Stevens. It is such a great time. Um, but like I said, it will be my last interview of the year because I will be going on maternity leave come October 1st. Uh, I will be working here and there toward the end of the year, but the protagonistas will resume in 2022. It feels so wild to say that. It has been such an incredibly fun year of podcasting particularly with my partnership with Chasing Justice. Uh, they have been so helpful in getting these episodes edited and produced and all that fun stuff. And so a huge shout out to Chasing Justice. If you do not follow them, you totally should. They're a BIPOC-led organization uh, that is putting out just such good content. And so check them out. And as you do, you can also check out the conversation that I had with Dr. Yolanda Pierce about her book, In My Grandmother's House. It is a masterclass that we did together talking about our elders and talking about being rooted in our abuelitas and our grandmothers. So check that out at chasingjustice.com. So in today's super fun episode and super insightful episode with Sharifa, we talk about diasporic theology and we talk about how the holy shouldn't be commodified or branded, how it is in so many sectors of Christianity. We also reclaim the word submission, and by we, I, I mean her and me just adding on to it. But Sharifa reclaims the word submission. And we talk a whole lot about Paul, which is one of my favorite things to do. She says, one of my favorite little quotes, that we are not Paulians, we are Christians. And I think that that's a really important thing for evangelicals to remember. We also talk about wokeness, uh, which was such a surprising and such a good topic of conversation. And Sharifa had so many good things to say about the notion of wokeness and being awake and being asleep. And so I so hope that you guys enjoy this conversation because I enjoyed having it very, very much. I hope you enjoyed this last interview of 2021 before I welcome my new baby into the world. Um, I hope that you guys will go back and listen to older episodes that you have not heard 
and feel free to message me and share, you know, your favorite conversations. I am hoping to maybe try and repost, you know, little pieces of conversation here and there if I have the time. So bear with me. <laughs> I might not. Um, but I will see you guys again in 2022. Uh, I will also do a little recap episode next week. And so this isn't the last you'll hear from me, but I'll miss you guys for the remainder of the year. Thank you so much for tuning in, all of you. Please, 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 if you have not left a review for the protagonistas, I ask that you would do so. It's so helpful just to know what y'all think, and it helps spread the word on iTunes. And so please leave a review and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the protagonistas. So I am so excited to have Sharifa with me right now. As we were talking about earlier, we've been like in intersections on the internet. Um, we've connected <laughs> <laughs> and I've loved, you know, stuff that you've shared. And I love reading reflections that you've written, which I will ask you about in a bit. Um, but yeah, it's so it's such an honor to chat with you today. And so thank you so much for being here. It's my honor. I'm so happy to be here. I'm <laughs> bubbling with happiness. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, okay, so, so Sharifa, can you start <laughs> with sharing a little bit about who you are, um, and particularly your spiritual background? I love to ask folks this because, you know, it's a journey to get to where we are. And there's so much yes. that comes along with it. So give us you know a little snippet of that journey okay well um i am a first generation american i was born to jamaican immigrants um my parents grandparents great grandparents and great great grandparents are from the island of jamaica um also um from the diaspora of the caribbean and uh central america so there's a little bit of Costa Rica, there's a little bit of Cuba and um, Panama and a lot of Jamaica. Love so um, me too. <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, because I don't know what happens before um, my great, great grands. I just get to imagine where I come from and it, it there's a bittersweetness to it, but I also feel like I get to claim so much of yeah, the diaspora yeah. as a result. Um, my grandmother was probably the chief mentor of um, my introduction to the faith um, because she lived with us. And for a while, we had relatives living with us. So my grandmother and I shared a room. Mm. So, which is such a great thing for me. I don't know how it was yes. for her, but um, she was, she was um, part of hearing. And so she did everything with energy and volume, um, mm. including her prayers, her singing, um, and she faithfully would get down on her knees every morning and every evening. And that's uh, a habit that I can still see in my mind's eye. Um, and it wasn't easy for her to get down on her knees. And mm -hmm. so 
um, just the reverence that she had for God and the corporeal form of it was something that made a distant impression on me. Mm -hmm. I uh, went to church, went to a wonderful Baptist church in Midtown Manhattan. Um, But it was very, it was two different kind of iterations Mm -hmm. of worship. Um, My grandmother's was uh, percussive and um, spirited and uh, loud enough for her to hear. Mm. And, uh, and that mattered. And it was, it was very Caribbean. And the church that my parents and I went to in Midtown Manhattan was, um, it was a really a, a foretaste of, of Revelation 7-9 in terms of there were Filipinos, Germans, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, Jamaicans, Bayesians, um, Swiss. There were um, domestic workers, opera singers. It was it was just like the most beautiful cross section of Manhattan that you could Oof. see. It was great, and at the same time, um, the percussion and the volume definitely were not there. But I think the pipe organ was the loudest thing at the church. <laughs> Maybe the handbells. So, um, and you know, I know how to, I know how loud um, my fellow congregants could be, but you know, there was a different um, expression of reverence in that in that church. Um, and I learned about Jesus through felt board and cutouts and faithful Sunday school teachers, um, and also my parents. I think I, I got it from every angle, just different mm. facets of who, who God is. Um, even, even if there were some of those iterations that were kind of like incomplete or problematic. Right. Right. Um, so I would say that my spiritual background was preparing me to experience the faithfulness of God and the perseverance of the saints um, because nothing uh, in our household or in my grandmother's life was easy Mm -hmm. or what maybe the evangelical definition of quote unquote blessed would be, you know, wasn't something in her life that showed up economically. Right. You know, it wasn't like a transactional faith you know it was it was uh gritty persevering um uh, kind of tarrying uh, tabernacling uh, fellowship walking with and walking through um that creates a robust and i think christ-like faith so that, that's my spiritual background. Oh my gosh, you are speaking my abuelita theology language. Oh, <laughs> like this whole time, I love this whole time I'm like, whoo, goosebumps. Um, oh, okay. You said so many things that I want to 
like follow up on. First, I love your mention of the diaspora. Um, I was reading on di- like di- diaspora, diasporic. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so bad with like pronouncing things in the other way they're <laughs> supposed too. to be said. <laughs> like hegemony, 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 you know. Ugh, I don't Which know. one is it? I'm going with hegemony, <laughs> but I don't know. Probably is that. I don't know. <laughs> it, it means we read. That's what right. it means. <laughs> right. You learn through reading, not through, yes. you know, okay. Um, but anyway, I was reading up on uh, theology of the diaspora. Um, and I, I love this point. Um, <laughs> diasporic, there you go. Theology taught me that it's possible for a group of people to maintain their differences and their distinctive cultures without needing to control people or land, without needing to dispossess people of their lands. As someone, you know, also from the Caribbean, um, mm-hmm. who, you know, my family lives in Miami, which if you've been to Miami, I mean, they have not let go of their culture, who they nope. are, like it is, yeah, like we are, you know, I always laugh, I say my grandmother, she's been in this country at this point, almost 50 years, and she doesn't know a lick of English, and she never cared to learn. <laughs> She was like, I'm not learning that. Why do I need to learn that? Like, I speak Spanish, you know? So anyway, I love this idea that, you know, in this this diasporic theology that we maintain and we hold on and we stick to who we are, but we don't need to control nobody. We don't need to, you know, dispossess right. anybody of their land. We're sticking to, you know, I like to say that the land lives within us. And that's sort of mm-hmm. the, this idea of like diasporic, diasporic theology. Mm-hmm. So Anyway, I love that you mentioned that um, you're part of the diaspora. And then again, just speaking to my abuelita theology heart, um, oh, the fact that your grandmother, she was hard of hearing and that made her loud and yes. just her faith expression loud. And yes. I love that how you say she was always on her knees and it wasn't easy for her to get on her knees, but she was on her knees. And there's something so stinking embodied about that, right? It is just your embodiment, like to her literal bones, which are hard to turn and bend, but they are doing that. Um, And I I feel like when I think of Abuelita theology, that's what I think about that embodied, like literally it's in her body to the point that yes. she is getting on her knees because it lives so much in her. And the fact that it's like your, her ears and her, you know, she cannot hear, but it's in her throat and it's coming out of her mouth. And woof. anyway, thank you. for yes. <laughs> yes. And I think, you know, I, I've lived long enough to go back to it. And right. I think, you know, I'm, I'm always struggling between judgment and grace for myself for the things that I knew or the things that I valued. And there's so much of how I was trained, catechized um, implicitly that divorces worship from the body. Oh yeah. That also um, accuses and um, demonizes the body. Yep. And And so worship becomes disembodied. Mm -hmm. Um, It becomes an intellectual pursuit. It it lives only um, in the unseen, Uh, and and it that creates so like ripples of issues, like ripples of um, a perversion Mm -hmm. of of theology. 
And so like, I, I just didn't, I, I knew to take note of what I was seeing. Mm, yep. Um, but I didn't know how holy it was. Right. 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 And about- now I do. Right. Yep. Tell me what you think about. <laughs> tell me, tell me, tell me. <laughs> no, I think about, um, you know, so kind of going along with what you were saying, like her, her focal point was survival and she had a strong faith, mm-hmm. but she was trying to survive right in a new country, um, raising three children, her husband, my grandfather passed away, all these things. And she's trying to survive, but in her survival, what I, like you said, took note of, but as I grew older and I, you know, got into a white evangelical spaces and then, you know, I was trained to not, um, think was important. And then now mm-hmm. I'm looking back you know, she, she sewed, you know, she would make clothes and she took care of her plants and she grew her, you know, her avocado trees and her mango yes. trees. Yeah. And she, and she set the table every night for everybody. And we all went to her house to play dominoes. And these are all things that as I look back, I see, you know, God working through the needle and the thread in her yeah. hands and creating, you know, these dresses and these outfits for the community, for the women in the community. I think of, you know, Tabitha in scripture, you know, she That's dies, right. right. She dies. And literally they go send Peter to come resurrect her. And, and, and when he comes, the women of the community bring their tunics and they say, look how important she was. Look what she did for us. And so I think of my grandmother, you know, I think of all of the women, the women that can come to her bedside when she, you know, is in her deathbed and say, look, look, look at her, you know, and that to me is Awalita theology, right? Like it is embodied. It lives in her, in her fingers and in her, in the needle and the thread. And so anyway, (laughs) it just makes me think of that. Yeah. And like because you said, the holy is there. Yes. It's, yes. it's there. Like, like it's the holy shouldn't be commodified or incorporated. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but it is right. Right. In some sectors where it's like, okay, well, what, what your abuelita is okay, but it's nothing right. like leading this mega church. Right. Yeah. It's, it is, it is okay. It's, it's kind cute. of, you know, pedestrian, but the real work, right? right. Only, only some people can do that real work. Mm. Only the people who've been trained here. It's, it's incorporated. It's branded. It's, it's siloed. And that's just a lie. It's just a lie. It is a lie. <laughs> I'm so thankful that you have that experience of your grandmother that is so beautiful and that you got to share a space with her and a room with her and see it like as you wake up and open your eyes and as you close mm-hmm. them at night. And it's just mm-hmm. so beautiful. I actually she is shared. So dear. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, I uh, I lived in a duplex and my, my grandma lived on one side and we lived on the other. And I would literally like fall asleep in bed with her and then like kind of like later on at night, I'm like, okay, I have to go to my room. So I would like walk on over, you know, to my room and then go to sleep. But I have those memories of just like, you know, sleeping with her and so special. The way she, she smelled like the, (sighs) I know she used palm olive Mm -hmm. and I could, the, the soft, gentle smell and how soft her skin was. And like, they're just some tactile memories. I know you have them at the things, the things that 
the way she flipped me that candy, <laughs> that peppermint. She was all she always had the hookup. And because she lived with us, she would she would see my mom coming to spank me and get in between me oh, and I my mother. <laughs> I'm like, my hero. My hero. So yes. I just, I mean, I cannot wait to see her again. Oh. When I get to see her again. Yes. In, in her place of uninterrupted joy mm. and complete healing and relief and rest. I cannot, mm. I can wait, I guess. But mm. when it, what a reunion. Beautiful. I cannot imagine. Mm, so good. Oh, thank you for sharing all of that. So I, I don't want to like change the subject. <laughs> go ahead, girl. We could, we could go everywhere. Let's go. Where are we going next? <laughs> so, okay. I'm going to read a little bit of like your uh, bio, I guess you can say, because I just loved it. And I don't typically love people's bios. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I feel special. <laughs> So I, and I just love this bio. So I'm going to read it and then I'm going to ask you to like talk a little bit about it. Um, so it says Sharifa is a conglomeration of intersections, Bronx wisdom and prep school code switching, smoke shop now and laters and church peppermints, hip hop and hymns. And then you say intersections can be a mashup rife with both tragedy and opportunity, places of pause within movement. Mm. Oh, I'm just obsessed with that. <laughs> like I read that. I'm like, oh, beautiful. Okay. I, you know, I love non dichotomous everything. Um, yes. You know, I love leaning into these smoke shop now and laters and church peppermints, right? Like this, because mm -hmm. that is where we exist. Um, but as we talked about, right, that's not what is celebrated or that is not what, you know, we, people don't know what to do or the dominant culture doesn't know what to do with those of us who live with these non-dichotomous intersections. Yes. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I think I thought that was beautiful and it was brilliant. And I'd love for you to tell us more about these intersections and you living in these, you know, beautiful spaces. Yes. Okay. Well, I think just, first of all, I don't think I'm alone in, in these experiences. I think, especially in this country, which is um, a country where there are a lot of immigrants, a lot of the stories of people coming from one place to this place, either voluntarily or involuntarily. And the the tragedy or opportunity that that immigration is the tragedy that it has been for so many um especially the people the the um indigenous peoples of this land mm -hmm. which i want to make sure i acknowledge and for for me the the intersections are a place of examination of observation, like I said, but they're a place of ex examination. Where are we and where are we going? Yeah. How do we acknowledge where we are in order to know where we're going? Um, and for me, uh, there is an in, in intersection 
a pressure to be either on one road or the right. other, but we're, we're not. Um, right. So in, in growing up, I grew up in the Bronx. That's where I was from. I went to school in the Bronx, but it was a part of the Bronx that renamed itself. So it was disassociated mm. from the Bronx. Same with my college. It was in Harlem, but they called it Morningside Heights, mm. right? Because it, it matters, you know, location, one location is threatening and menacing mm. and crime ridden. And the other is um, affluent and right. um, safe. So, but they're both the same place. Right. So right. it's like, what if what if we don't choose? I think what if we examine and, and see where we are is an intersection. There is both and there's room for both. There's room for I feel I feel like these intersections, like my my Jamaicanness and how it mashes up with being black in America, right? My um, formal education, and my informal and very valuable education mm-hmm. um, outside of uh, academic spaces, my spiritual formation um, in the Baptist church and in my mother, my grandmother's room, like mm-hmm. all of these things are intersections that create depth and richness. And ultimately it also translates to me and Jesus, like, I've never seen, like, how do you even explain the God man? Like how you, <laughs> how you do that? So, and, and nobody's gonna, well, not nobody. Cause pe- the whole swaths of people are like, he's one or the other, but he can't right. be both. <laughs> but if, if we hold to the uh, view that Jesus is fully man and fully God, there's an intersection. Right. Um, so <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's a, it's a pretty significant one and, um, perplexing, mysterious, and, uh, I believe true. It, it makes sense to me because right. so many intersections are right. And so much of the Christian life b- bears this out, this already not yet, um, living this hope and um, despair that sometimes travel together, this um, faith that precedes sight. It, the, the intersection speaks of not being at the destination and the value of the journey. It's... Mm. It's so essential, you know? So I don't know if that explains it, but I just, I'm like, I don't, I, this is, this is where I like to be because I get to see so many vantage points, right? um, Observe them, acknowledge them, and also see, you know, where I am and where I'm going. Um, Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Makes perfect sense. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so you mentioned hope. Okay. Um, and I read this beautiful uh, reflection. <laughs> it's the worst. Hope is really the most is. dangerous, terrible thing. It is it so really beautiful. Is. It's it so really tender. Is. I hate it. I love it. 
<laughs> I actually, <laughs> I was reflecting a lot on hope last year because, you know, whatever, it was 2020. And I, <laughs> and I literally landed, I actually wrote on my, I blogged about this, but I landed on a theology of hopelessness. And I was like, you know mm. what, I'm just going to embrace hopelessness for a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, it was really helpful for me. <laughs> um, a lot of people don't like that, but I, I, it was really helpful for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, just embracing hopelessness. And yeah, um, because a lot of peoples of the world live in hopeless situations. And through that, there's somehow, you know, beauty and liberation and freedom through a just hopeless reality. And so anyway, so you mentioned hope, and I did want to ask you about um, just to elaborate a little bit, because you wrote this beautiful reflection on hope. And I'm going to read a quote that you said, and I would love for you to talk about it, because I think it does speak to these intersections um, that you were just, you know, about yourself in general, but that you were just referring to. And you said, hope resists the colonization and enslavement of our bodies and minds. It grabs our hand and runs us out of Egypt and into the wild to preserve not our sense of security, but our ability to imagine, to create, Mm -hmm. to push through. Whew. That was beautiful. <sighs> Don't you, sometimes when people read, well, like things that you write, you're like, wow, I wrote that. <laughs> yes. And also when other people read it, they bring themselves into the interpretation and, yeah. and vibrancy of it. Like you did. I mean, it's one thing for me to write it. It's another thing for me to <laughs> for hear you hear, interpret right. it, how right. you, how you say it. Oh my goodness. What a privilege. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, talk to me about that quote. Yeah, so I mean, and this is fun. So I wrote that last year and right now um, I'm going through the book of Exodus with my children. Mm. So, um, and and we're, we're listening for uh, recurring themes and, and I'm, I'm getting their observations on mm who who is doing what and exhibiting what and it is so what what they picked up on and it's related to this is that when Moses finally is emerging from Midian Mm -hmm. as an 80 year old uh who has been avoiding Egypt Mm -hmm. he when he is finally convinced by God to move right Mm -hmm. He talks to Pharaoh and says, "Let okay, God says, let my people go so that they can worship me. And that, and they said, Pharaoh's immediate response was to physically um, oppress the people of Israel more. But what he was really trying to do was destroy their hope. Mm-hmm. Like it was a tactic not for just their bodies, but for their hope. Like, don't believe what this man is saying. This this man speaks of liberation. Mm. Get your own straw. So what what I'm going to do is associate hope with punishment, with Mm. oppression, with with despair, so that you don't even go there. Right. And I feel like, if that ain't a tactic of the enemy, I don't know right. what is. Just right. 
the bondage that comes from not even being able to imagine a better, a better mm-hmm. way um, is so anti-Christ. Whew. Right. Um, because I, I would, I would compare, you know, I don't like hope. So I feel really hypocritical, like saying all this, but I can't help but like confront hope and what it means because it's so regularly um, juxtaposed with the way of accusation or the way of greed or the way of selfishness, the way of hope is like the Lord's prayer. Like I Mm. juxtapose it with the Lord's prayer. Right. And with depending on, on God for daily bread and, and praying for God to pull the will of heaven down here. And that's like, that is the vibrancy of, of faith is this hope that things will not be as they are forever and that God will keep his word. Right. Um, but there's, there's a, for the people of Israel, there was a way of life that they had known for 430 years. Right. There were, the ways of the land of Egypt that they had grown accustomed to that had, had sown their way into their hearts. And in that narrative, they were, they were not worth much. Mm. They were, they were made to labor. Right. They had become accustomed to, I mean, I can't imagine the fear of carrying a child. Hmm. They had grown accustomed to the Nile being a place of death, not a Hmm. place of life. There are all these Hmm. things that they had grown accustomed to. And when you start to hope in year 200 or in year 250, in year 300, that hope disappoints. Right. By the and it lives in you. You know how these they keep doing studies that talk about how how our our genomes are are giving or testifying to the traumas that we endured and survived, mm-hmm. or our parents or our grandparents. Right. So the people of Israel have this in them, and hope disrupts that. Right. It is, it is revolutionary and disruptive. It feels so risky just to hang on to hope's hand. Right. You know, when you live in a land of slave catchers, to hold on to hope's hand and to think about freedom is just so risky. Mm-hmm. So you you know, we, we can be enslaved to that, um, the safety of despair. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's so good. It resists the colonization of our minds as well as our bodies. And I just love that. Um, and speaking of, you know, the imagination, um, you know, in, in regard to hope, 
you had mentioned in a conversation I heard um, about Luke 4 and about Jesus actually engaging in this prophetic, you know, imagining. Um, And I just love that because, you know, when you look kind of like when you zoom out and when you look at scripture as a whole, when you look at the story of the Israelites, when you look at what Jesus is doing, so much of it is this idea of imagining, Mm -hmm. um, you know, imagining what it would be like to leave Egypt, imagining, you know, imagining this hope or, or, you know, allowing our imagination to lead us to this hope. Um, So talk to me a little bit about Jesus and this idea of, you know, imagining. Yeah. And if you want to talk about Luke 4. Yeah. You want to talk about like a dangerous person. So (laughs) like Jesus, this is why I I love him because he, he just blows all the categories because you know, there's, there's a group that he's talking to. So in Luke four, he's, he's announcing, okay, I'm about to begin my public ministry. Mm-hmm. I need to let y'all know who I am. Let me go to the scroll of Isaiah and, and, and read about what happens when the spirit of God is on me. So, right. and it's, it's freedom. It's freedom for the, for the people for whom hope is most, risky it's like right right the most violently dangerously delicious endeavor to mm-hmm. even partake in right and so it's the poor it's it's the the incarcerated it's mm. um the blind it's so it's it's people who uh the people sitting uh around listening to him wouldn't allow in the inner Right. Inner sanctum. Right. So for one reason or another, they are unclean. They are um, found guilty. Um, they 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 can't afford the right sacrifices. <laughs> like it's right. these people that Jesus is like, OK, I'm here for you. Um, just like my birth announcement said, because mm. the angel said it too. Mm. peace, goodwill. Right. And so like, but, but that's, there's one section that hears it. This section is, you know, people, people who are already kind of on the inside of things. Mm -hmm. So for, for them, Jesus is kind of turning things upside down. And then there's another group and, and his disciples are in that group among that number who are like, okay, we're going to imagine with you. Mm-hmm. We imagine a liberated Israel. Mm-hmm. We, we imagine we will be out from under the yoke of Rome. We imagine mm-hmm. this. We imagine that you will be our king. And when you are our king, we will finally be relieved of all of this bondage. And it's a good mm-hmm. imagining that they have. Right? Yep. And, and Jesus is like, <laughs> so like, <laughs> um so it's not gonna be like that so so you have one group that's like i don't need to imagine i already have it as good as it gets i i have access and power that and i'm comfortable so i don't even need to imagine and the other group is like i'm so uncomfortable that i all i can imagine is liberation and God, by the way, you have this precedent and you told us to remember and rehearse it. And we're doing that. It's mm. we're every Passover. We're reminded of how you freed mm-hmm. our ancestors. So free us. 
And so, and Jesus is like, so I don't be doing things the same way. So I, I do, I do things differently every time. So <laughs> that, and that's, that's the, that's one of like the unwieldy things about hope. It's also in Christ. If, if we're talking about the Christian hope specifically, our hope is, is also tethered to, I hate saying this word, but it's like tethered to submission in a, mm. it's like in a very right. um, dependent way. Like it is. Right. Oh, we can reclaim. We can reclaim it. We can reclaim it. <laughs> let's let's reclaim it because it's been beaten over right. so many of our yeah. our heads, our sisters' heads, right? And it, but it's like, I mean, I could just talk about how Ephesians five twenty one, you know, looks in the Greek, right? Feel free to talk about it. <laughs> I'm just saying. All right. I'll say as a as a footnote, I will just say that when I look at Ephesians in the Greek. I didn't see the word submission in verse 22. I saw it in verse 21 and right. verse 21 is talking about us submitting to one another. Right. And without that clause, there would be nothing for verse 22, which is talking about mm-hmm. wives to, to their husbands, nothing for that to refer to. So people, people like to run away with their exegesis of mm-hmm. the submission of of women to men or what Paul means when he's talking about all women for all time. But um, they, they have a surprising lack of context and nuance and aren't willing to talk about number one, the fact that submission is the, the goal and the worship of every Christ follower, every right. single one, they're unwilling to talk about themselves in relation to Christ. That is, they are the bride of Christ. So they, they need to, you know, understand what that means. They're right. not exempt from, from being the bride right. and, and they need to like sit with that and maybe that'll um, sober them up about how they, <laughs> how they respond and how they right. care about the women in their lives. Uh, number three, you know, Paul, Paul was also known to say, hey, don't get married. It's better. Right, right, exactly. So why, why are we over here trying to create a cult of marriage? Like, why are we over here Oof. trying to say that women are only of use if they're their wives or mothers? Right. Only. Right. As if this is going to be our position as worshipers in eternity. Right. As if that is ever how Jesus interacted. Jesus, who we're not Paulians, we're Christians. Exactly. So, like <laughs> Jesus, who never, like, mm-hmm. never talked to women about anything other than worship. Like mm-hmm. his greatest theological explanations, his his declaration of being Messiah to Martha, his longest theological conversation with the woman at the well his um his good news telling to mary magdalene like why are we okay so anyway so that's just my <laughs> <I> footnote <laughs> i love it i mean you can it's keep my big, my big footnote <laughs> like ephesians and 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 your your statement which is let's reclaim submission but let's put it in the proper context. Right. All things. 
Yep. If we believe Jesus, all things are, are in submission to Christ, the one who, with his word, just created everything, and that he is the consummation of all things, and that's what's, that's what's to come. That's like, that's the, that's the great hope. Right, that's right, the hope right. that doesn't disappoint. That's not a gendered hope. It's mm-hmm. not a hope for, for women who are, who are only, only saved by being somebody's wife or somebody's right. mother. Like, it's everybody's hope. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like every, it's my, my trees in the backyard hope yeah. as well. Right. Yeah. It's your cat's hope. Right. It's, it's my friend's puppy's hope. Like it's everybody, everybody's groaning. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. greatest hope mm-hmm. is for when that groaning ceases. Right. It's, yep. it's for when things are put right. Mm-hmm. It's not, yeah. and it won't be, it's not going to be like a, I don't know, like, it's not going to be like, like they want it because right. we're, we're not here for an eternal hierarchy where there's like a multi-level marketing model of <laughs> hi- Christian hierarchy based on, right. based on anatomy. Right. You know, like, do you, do they hear themselves? Like, well, I had a penis, so you know that, like, so that means forever and ever. No, it means the last shall be first. You need to be preparing for the way this new kingdom is. Oh yeah, you need to be preparing. If you have any little bit of power, right here and right now. Yep. Your job is to imagine what it's like to mm. not be in that position anymore. So good. Right. So and good. then, and then act accordingly. What is it like to divest that power? Because guess what? That's what Jesus did. Prophetic imagination just looks like that. It's like, it's, it's Jesus. Jesus had every right to come wreck shop to come right. say okay well i'm the i'm the king now to just kill monger his way to the throne like, yeah <laughs> like hey auntie you know like to just kill monger his way it's a power he's the only one right did. and right. he was just like i choose i choose mary right so good you know so i good. choose i choose to be in the womb I mean, just think about it. Just as you, Kat, just think about it. Yeah. Well. That kind that kind of submission that he right. displayed first to this right. young woman. Right. I love Whatever that you bring you, up. Yeah, I yes. love that you tied that to Mary because we often we often hear so much about how Mary submitted to you know the 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 will of God and having Jesus you know, but Which she to did. turn that right, but to turn that around and like well Jesus submitted to literally coming from Mary's womb like there's just so much you know like yeah just paradigm shifting when we when we look at it that way and so yeah thank you for for shedding that light it's an intersection. Right. Right. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, so good. And that also reminds me. So yesterday I was on a call and we were talking about Acts 16, the 
the um, enslaved young girl who is chasing after Paul and Silas. And she's saying like, you know, these people are the real deal. Right. Right. And Paul gets annoyed and Paul like sends her away and he's like, let this spirit be gone from you. And we were just kind of wrestling with this, like, this colonized body, you know, this, this mm. triply marginalized colonized body in colonial mm. territory. Cause she's in Philippi, mm. which is a Roman or, you know, Ro- it's colonized by Rome <laughs> and yes. she's this colonized body. And we're, you know, we're thinking of how Christianity in, in this time, obviously was, was a fringe sort of thing. You know, we're thinking of how, how Paul and Silas and all these people are, are being imprisoned and, you know, all these things for their beliefs But in that moment, Paul and Silas, you know, they have the power and they have the privilege. And as they're interacting with this colonized body, and it's these intersections that we're talking about, and it's this messiness where he gets annoyed at her proclaiming this truth about God and about them. Yes. You know, he sends her away, you know, and then at the end of the story, when he goes to prison, he says like, oh no, but I'm a citizen of Rome. And so he's again, appealing to this power and privilege. So there's just so many yes. of these intersections that are just like, they're paradigm shifting. Um, what do you it, make, what do you make of him being so responding in annoyance? What do you make of that? I mean, I don't know. And I think that that's, but I, I mean, it's just part of you know kind of how you said we we follow jesus not paul and it's just i had a professor once who said like paul is like a bull in a china closet and paul was a hot mess and he sort of argued and mind you this was at a very conservative white evangelical seminary so this was not any sort of like you know progressive (laughs) uh space and he had this beautiful which i think was beautiful people didn't like it but i loved it and he sort of (laughs) argued that 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 if you read and you kind of tease out the greek in acts there, there's specific words or specific um, passages where Luke says we, like he calls it the we passages yes. where Luke will say, oh, we did this. And then there's specific passages where he's like, oh yeah, I'm Paul. Like he, does, he separates himself from the equation. So my professor's argument um, back then was essentially that the we passages were the passages that Paul was essentially in God's will. And the Mm. I passages was when Paul was sort of doing his thing, right? When Paul was just kind of like a bull in a child closet because, you know, know, he's just kind of like a hot mess. He's a Um, zealot, no matter what he did. Right, right. So I just, I I loved this because when we think of, so you asked me, what, what do we make of this Act 16? And I think of that in, what if that was an eye passage? What if that was Paul just being mm. Paul, Paul just being a hot mess, right? Paul just being annoyed because he's a freaking human, right? And he's yeah. not like, yeah, he's cool. He's Paul, but like, also he's figuring it out. <laughs> like he was figuring this yeah. thing out. Yes. <laughs> so, so, and I just, and I love that we can investigate this passage through the lens of power and privilege, you know? And that's exactly mm-hmm. what, you know, there is going to be places where Paul is extremely privileged and has a lot of power and there's many places where he doesn't and i think that that passage investigates that um and forces us to really sit with that and you know because she's literally saying the truth like she's truth telling you know and he's like shh get out of here and what does that say about you know so many truth tellers in our midst and how people like paul the pauls in our midst you know the revered the ones within that situation with power and privilege the ones who we look to for discipleship are saying stop 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 just, yeah, we don't want to hear that right now and she's truth telling right 
So there's just, yeah, there's just so much. It's, um, it's so messy. Yes. So, so messy. Um, and I just thought of that as you're bringing up, you know, Jesus and his submission and the, how that intersects with someone like Mary and how, mm-hmm. you know, there's just so, it's just so messy. <laughs> it is. I, I just think that Jesus gives us consistent examples of dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like part of the distinctive that I love about him so much is that he dignifies women. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so consistently um, right. and that little girl was a moneymaker, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. the, even the, the pro- I don't know if the proclamation of the message was mixed with money was mixed right, with, right, right, right. with fortune telling. Right. I don't know. Like, right. I know, I know that after Paul messed with their, that girl's owner's money mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that it started a riot, you know, like right, I know, right, right, right. I know that there is a unholy um, commingling of commodification and the gospel that just can't, like, I know that that can't go either. And like, we're way, way invested in that in this country, the commingling of and and commodification of what is absolutely priceless and free, you know, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I just I when I think about that girl and what her what her emancipation looked like, you know, her, her emancipation came from an annoyed apostle, <laughs> which is crazy, right? <laughs> but and then the like the words that were in her mouth were not even coming from her either. Right, so she right, was right. still she was in subjection in her body and outside right. of it. Yeah. And I feel like that's what what Jesus comes for he comes for her body and he comes Mm -hmm. from um her internal life and he comes for the people who would use another body for their own gain and though that like that's what I I calibrate right towards because like you said Paul Paul is trying to, you know, work it out. He don't know, you know, he's working out in Philemon too. He's like, he's working out what slaves and masters and how they should get along. Like he's just, sometimes he's like, how do I work within this system? Sometimes he's like, to hell with the system. Like it's so, he truly is like that, which gives us freedom to just grapple, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, to just grapple in our own, our own context, right. where we're, we're like zealots about some things, right? And we trying to work it out in some things, right. we messy in some things. Yep. And, and we have it on record that other, other people are doing the same thing. Yes. So good. No, and I think that that's a really important um, just thing to remember, right? That we're all grappling, we're all it's messy. We're all trying to figure it out as we go along and we're all, it's in, it's in real time. And I think, and I think that's also the interesting thing about social media too, is that we're thinking out loud. We're thinking in real yes. time. We're not, you yes. know? Um, so yes. anyway, I thought that was really good. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so I have a question about kind of along these lines. You also said a quote, I'm just like quoting you and asking I, <laughs> I love to hear you read it. Cause I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> That sounds good when you say it. 
<laughs> well, this one, <laughs> this one you said, so I hope I get the exact wording, but I think I, I think I did. Oh. <laughs> okay. So you said the cues of the new Testament are cues of awakening of being mm-hmm. alert and observant. Mm-hmm. You can't be discerning of the times or alert to what's going on around you, or you can't be alert to the spirit if you're asleep. And I thought that yeah. was so good. Um, I think it also speaks to what we're kind of talking about. So if you want to elaborate on this, the cues of the New Testament are cues of awakening, of being alert yeah. and observant. That's so good. Talk to me about that. Yes. I Well, you know, I think what I... What I've resented in the discourse of these days is um, the use of biblical language as epithets, like from people who also are claiming to follow Jesus. So the term woke and wokeness has been dragged, sullied uh, by people who are making light of um, the integration of the gospel, what I see as the integration of and consistency of the gospel message, that it's not just a disembodied uh, hope after death, but it is um, concerned with the present, with the body, with uh, justice, just just calling people social justice warriors mm-hmm. as if that's an epithet um, without uh, any hint of self-awareness that the the opposite of these things are anti-christ the, mm-hmm. you so what right you're being awake is is now a thing not to be desired and social right. justice is now something not to be desired. What then are you for? Mm. What, what then is, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, and so, so when I look at the scriptures, it's not just I, when, when, when one looks at the scriptures and t- looks at the metaphor metaphors throughout scripture sleeping is death Mm. so being awake is life it is it is that simple um when you when you look at the the bible um when you look specifically because uh, some people don't integrate the old testament into the new testament don't Mm-hmm. They they just focus very much on the New Testament. I I, I don't think that's a good look, honestly. Right. But <laughs> I think you're missing a lot. Um, right, right. But if you look just at the New Testament, uh, you're looking at Greek words for righteousness. Mm-hmm. The word for righteousness is the word for justice. Right. They right. are the same word. Yep. How, are, how, how dare you split that in two? What kind of lazy study are you doing? Oof, yep. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, so if you read righteousness anywhere in the New Testament, you are also reading justice. Yep. You may not be comfortable with it, but, but I, didn't, I didn't make that right. up. <laughs> right. So, so if, if you would extract 
justice from righteousness. What do you have? You know, you don't have, you don't have the working out. You don't have the, the external uh, fruit. You don't, what do you, what do you have? Right. If, if you're trying to extract justice from righteousness and why would you do that? Right. Who, but the unjust, mm. why would you, why would you be an advocate for the unjust? Why would that be the hill that you die on? That doesn't make sense to me. And being using, using a terminology for being alert, discerning, like these are the, the synonyms for being awake. It's being discerning. It's, being able to um, discern the movement of God from the movement of, of the world that's passing away. It's obedience. It is, um, it's, 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 it's like the other side of baptism, mm-hmm. you know, like you, you, you go down into the water or mm-hmm. your sprinkles, but mm-hmm. like you're, you're, right. you're proclaiming your death. And then your life in Christ, mm. it's, it's being a, awake. Mm, so good. Why on earth would these be the epithets right. hurled by the people of God? Like, yep. y'all don't make no sense. I'm just... <laughs> And yep. the, the, just the mockery of it. I just. You, but you know what? I think that a lot of us suffer. A lot of us who claim to be Trinitarian suffer from being practical binitarians. Mm-hmm. In order to really be discerning and awake, you really have to be able to listen, observe, and invite the Holy Spirit to move. You really have to have um, an otherworldly dependence on the Spirit to discern the things of of God. And we have have a section of popular Christianity that doesn't need the Spirit. Mm-mm. They don't, yep. they don't make decisions through the spirit. Right. They, they mock, they mock the evidence of the spirit. Oof. Yep. You know, as far as being awake, as far as um, caring about justice, these, I mean, only, you know, it's like the being spirit led that's, that stops you on, on your, on your journey and allows you to see a person broken and bleeding on the side of the road right and stopping everything so that you're you're making sure that 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 person is all right and that they will be all right right you know and there's a reason why jesus chose a samaritan for that right he right (laughs) so like he there's a priest and a Levite in that story too. Right. But they were right. sleeping. Mm-hmm. So, uh, he, and he just keeps doing that. Like you just, he just right. keeps doing that in the, in, in the gospels. So you, if you want to celebrate sleep, it's a declaration of a lack of dependence on the spirit. 
you telling on yourself. Wow. Wow. That's so good. I love how you connected all of that. It's true. So I don't good. get it, Kat. You know, like, I just, I'm like, why? Why is this? You must have such an easy life. Right. Right. You can just cruise through asleep and, you know, mocking those who are not. And yeah, it's just, anyway. They're passing by on the roadside of right. life. They're passing by. Yeah. They're, they just, you know, they don't want to risk being unclean. They're, they're, mm. they're passing by. So, you know, I pray that they would be convicted by the spirit because the people of God don't pass people by who are broken and bleeding on the roadside. Mm. People of God don't do that. So, you know, my hope is that if the spirit is in them, that they will wake up. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that's my ridiculous hope. Like that's my most out there, dumb. I feel stupid for saying this out loud. <laughs> so it's like mm. they would wake up. Right. Yep. Oh, so good, Sharifa. Thank you so much for sharing. No, really, like, <laughs> I don't even want to, like, ask you another question because... <laughs> That ridiculous, dumb, I feel stupid, so even stupid. saying it, Hope. <laughs> yes. Yes. So good. So what good. a world this would be. Right. Right. If we didn't celebrate being asleep. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So good. So do you want to let folks know what where they can find you? Because I'm sure after this conversation, they're going to want to <laughs> major, you know, read about you and read from you. And yeah, so if you want to let folks Thank know a you. little bit more. Yes. Well, I'm I'm like a hermit, practically. Um, <laughs> I'm like just trying to get through homeschool. Right <laughs> So you go to my page. I think I wrote something actually two weeks ago at sharifastevens.com. Okay. That's where I write um, very erratically. Um, and then um, my handle is at Sharifa Wright for Twitter and for Instagram, where I'm also quite erratic. Um, so look, I, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, it's a season of just like, Survival. how can I? <laughs> yes. How? Well, there's a lot of death. There's a lot right. of mass shootings. There's a lot yeah. of extrajudicial murder. There's pandemic woes. There's, right. you know, systematic issues. It's hard out here. It's hard yeah. out here. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to like scratch out my joy mm -hmm. very locally. Yeah. Yeah. Like That's right, so right here. Yeah, so good. but you know, you can find me there erratically and I hope I find you there erratically too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> or regularly, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you again. And this was so special. Thank you so much for listening to The Protagonistas. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.